1: best thing to win the Masters, you, you will be here forever, as long as you are still alive. So that's the best thing. I'm very happy.
2: Welcome to episode 52 of the Talking Golf History podcast. In 2020, the major championship that we are used to kicking off our golf year, fittingly ends it. 2020 will most certainly be recorded as the year that will go down for its turbulence divisiveness, and unpredictability. But for all of its chaos, I truly believe that 2020 will push us all to evolve, and perhaps ending the golf season with the Masters, above anything and everything, is a perfect metaphorical end to this unusual year. In its near 90-year history, Augusta National has evolved more than any other course that comes to memory. It seems, whether right or wrong, it is in a constant state of evolution fighting back, if you will, against time, technology, and the greatest golfers in the world. Today, we dive into how Augusta National evolved over the past near 90 years, and how those changes to its design started almost immediately after opening the gates, and continues even today. This podcast will be split into two episodes, the first of which will contain the evolution of Holes 1 through 9, and then a second part, which will cover the evolution of Holes 10 through 18, finishing off with our thoughts on how Augusta National could restore their remarkable course in the future. Our guests on the show today are Jasper Miners and Joe McDonald of Evalue 18 If you have never heard of Evalue 18 I would highly suggest you check out their website at www.evalu18.com that's www.evalu, then the number 18.com. They are active on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, and their knowledge is only equaled by the beauty of their work. Without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Jasper and Joe. Our guests for today's show are Joel McDonald and jasper miners of evalue 18 gentlemen thank you so much for joining us on talking golf history thanks connor hello
1: thanks for having us
2: evalue 18 came to my attention sometime between late 2018 and 2019 for the listeners who are not aware of Value 18 can you tell us a little about what you guys do
1: so the website itself uh is essentially a, a directory that highlights the, the best golf, we feel, uh, in the, the UK and Ireland. So England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland, and Ireland itself. And it, essentially it's the the digital uh, online guide. Um, it, we, we essentially want to, to make a one-stop shop with an interactive map of all the best golf that you can find, uh, some of the the biggest names, all the way to the the small nine hole courses that uh, probably are are lost off even up uh, the most ardent uh, golfers radar.
2: Great, and and from that, uh, w- tell me where you guys are based. I, I, now,
0: are all of you part of Royal Liverpool? <laughs> Shall I fail that one? Uh, I'm a Joe here. I'm a later addition to the evaluating group. Um, I am from uh well near Hoylake uh, about 5 miles down the road I'm a, a Hoylake member have been for a long time about 27 years or something since I was a kid um and I live in a place called Birkenhead which we may or may not want to come onto in a short while but um that was Birkenhead park was an Olmsted influence uh on his further sort of landscaping and architecture so uh Birkenhead remember that <laughs> love it <laughs> how about you Jasper
1: I'm based just outside of London, a little place, uh, commuter belt town called St. Albans. And uh, at the moment, I am a nomad, so I'm not a mem- member of any club. In between, that, in between mm-hmm. clubs. In between clubs, yeah. It allows me to, uh, to not be stuck uh, wanting to get my, uh, my membership dues worth at, uh, at a particular club, but it allows me to see a lot more different golf courses at the moment.
2: And, and how did you guys all get together? How did that come about?
1: So I think, long story short, uh, I was doing a bit of research on the old course, and as I was reading a lot of these golden age books about the old course, whether that was Colt or Simpson or even Mackenzie, um, they would often refer to Augusta or sorry to to St Andrews, and it, it was difficult to try and understand what they were speaking about from their point of view in the historical context under which those books were written. So I started to do a uh, historical review of the old course and basically it turned into um, using the old course as a whole and trying to call out all the different uh, architectural features. So whether that was bunker names or routings or holes, whatever it might've been. Uh, So I essentially had a very ugly Google map (laughs) <laughs> with a bunch of call-outs on it. Love it and that's where joe came in
0: yeah <laughs> sure <laughs> Jasper got in touch with me. We'd already done a little bit of um, collaboration on a Hoylake uh, historical review piece for his website. And uh, he got in touch and said, I've, I've seen some of the stuff you're doing um, you know, out there in the social world. Um, do you fancy collaborating on this, this map project with the with the old course? We're trying to recreate the Mackenzie map, um, in essence, but with some extra call-outs and some sort of modern unearthed stuff that Jasper's come across in his wide travels of, of the book world. So I went away and I've been working on some new techniques with the visuals and uh we can maybe come on to that later but it involves um 3d modeling uh, merged with high-res photography which then i sort of apply some modern style brush techniques to to create what we see today
2: was the first piece like that was that the old course
0: that's right yeah
2: yeah and that's what um, i have right you gentlemen sent me that. i mean it's it's fantastic. So folks, you got to check out the website. Uh, help me out. Is it Evalu18.com? Help me out there. What is it, Jasper?
1: Yeah. So Evalu18.com. And if you want to go straight to the shop, it's shop.Evalu18.com. But either one will get you where you want to go.
2: And so let me ask you this. Was the goal of evaluate 18 it sounds like it was first to talk about golf course architecture. And now it's also to not only talk about it, but perhaps show its beauty or is that just the added benefit of the artwork that comes along with Evalu18?
1: Yeah, I don't think we... I, I never started off in particular um, with the goal of doing um, like nice golf course artwork. It, it's evolved into that. And we've come across some like really talented, great people. And just to be able to work with them is, has been really good. Um, I think Evalu18, in, in the beginning, started out as trying to understand what makes some golf good. So, like, what makes some golf courses rise above another? Um, and the explanation, the, the only answer that I found that was satisfactory for me was, was golf course architecture, uh, because there is actually an explanation as to what works and what doesn't. Um, and once you understand those basic principles and precepts, uh, it allows you to perhaps evaluate uh, other golf courses or new golf courses on those same ideals. And that's that's basically where Evaluate Team started was trying to, to grow this list of, of good golf um, that was you know, readily available here and, and put it in a form that was readily accessible. And then it just kind of evolved from there.
2: Yeah, I think that what's really cool about that evolution is you, you start talking about, for like on the website, you're dedicating it to golf course architecture and the beauty of it. And it's kind of transformed into now being able to appreciate it you know, hung up on your wall. So you can connect the two, the, the verbal messaging of why is something great? What did this golf course architect do to uh, enhance the land or perhaps show off its beauty by putting a golf course here to actually having something tangible? Uh, and I believe I thanked you guys on social media. I'll do it now because uh, I have you here and I can see you. Nobody else can. Uh, but <laughs> they, the gentleman here sent me a colorized image of old Tom Morris and the Evaluate Teen edition of the old course. Again, I, it's unbelievably stunning. You need to check it out. I, I don't know, and help me here, and maybe you've seen one or, or not, but I've never seen a, a map of the old course that has all the historical connotations of those landmarks, those landmark bunkers and uh, the burns uh, and the bridge out on one single map. And I know, I, I remember the effort you went to specifically on social media to make sure you captured everything. How did that process come about? And was that part of the initial mapping process?
1: Yeah, so I, I think for me, when in, I mean, the, the one map that most people will know is Alistair McKenzie's map. And there there is quite a lot of information there. Um, but then when I started looking at other maps or reading different books, Uh, certain writers would make reference to, you know, a certain bunker or a certain hole or certain, you know, characteristic, and then I'd try and look on the maps and find out where it was, and you couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, So again, another uh, another golf course architect, uh, Scott McPherson, uh, he's written a book about the evolution of the old course, and he he also helped us with the, the peer review of the book. Um, and he, he essentially helped us to, to make sure that we had all of these, uh, bits and pieces and even relatively unknown, uh, bunkers that perhaps no one's even heard of. So for example, there's Fowlers and Benty. Uh, again, you can search high and low and there's probably maps from the early, early 1800s that show it. And that's the only reference to it.
2: And you put it in your map.
1: And we've got it on ours. That's yes. pretty
0: cool. Yeah. Amazing. We think it's the most comprehensive one available of its kind, um, but that you know, happy to be contradicted on that if if it's possible. Um, the visual part of it, um, a little bit of backstory about how I got heavily into um, mapping and research around maps was that uh, in my other line of work um, for a company called Monterosa, um, we are a software and uh, technology company, and we create. Well, we've just released a an application which is a live golf tracking. App which pulls in um, data from directly from the course in uh, under a second. So what it enables um, people to do, it's it's directly um, embeddable within a bookmaker's website. So uh, people can take bets on what's happening in the game. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so it's, I mean, it, it's been coming for a while, but as you can imagine, golf has uh, an incredible set of variables <laughs> that come with it. The terrain is uh, unique on each course, the, the weather conditions, etc. So it's not like um, a tennis court. And it's not like a football pitch, which is by and large the same sort of area you're dealing with. Every course is unique and comes with its own challenges. So what's happened is from a various uh, set of sources um, from FlightScope, who are the, the sort of science bods who are on the ground with GPS antennas and literal scouts on the course, walking to ball positions and plotting them with a GPS value, which is fired off to a sort of central data uh, repository um, from them to uh, people giving scores from the leaderboard, or uh, all, all of that through to us, so that we can pipe it straight into the bookmaker's website, and the punters could go on there and bet whether or not a player is going to hit the fairway on this next shot. So <laughs> you can imagine the the markets, as as you call them in the betting, it, the markets go from saying who's going to win the tournament. Uh, or who's going to win this round right down to like, whether or not a player is going to hit the fairway or the green or hole. Of the
2: yeah. Pot. You know, what's funny about that is, is it's in a weird way using this, you know, new technology. It's really a throwback, right? So like I, I have a very famous painting in my office, the golfers, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, at St. Andrews, the match at St. Andrews, also known them as the match. And it's, it's right over here. That's why I'm staring over your heads here. But if you, if you look in there, you can see these gentlemen and caddies, including Alan Robertson, uh, surrounding the ball, right? They're all, everyone's staring, you know, intently at the ball in this pot. And on the sides, I think there is at least three circumstances. I don't have my glasses. I know there's at least two where bets are being made. A lot of people don't notice that when they look at the match is there's bettors. They've got their book out and they're taking a bet. And this brings that kind of old school betting style, back to golf in the modern age where you don't have to be there. You don't have to hit your buddy on the shoulder and say, bet you five bucks. He misses this pot. It's live, but interactive and all over streamed yeah.
0: essentially. Right. I, I dare not get into the murkier side of the betting <laughs> world, um, but definitely <laughs> golf, golf's roots have come from people almost literally betting the farm on yeah. the arms of golf. Absolutely. Uh, so,
2: and now you can too folks.
0: <laughs> exactly. further, I reckon I'm going to get As long as back. it
2: doesn't come down to betting on my game, I'm fine. Don't uh, bet on me, folks. I'm the worst 1.4 handicap you ever played against. So let me ask you this: What's next for Value 18? You guys have had just monumental changes from the impact in looking at some of the great architecture to some of this beautiful artwork that's available. I see. I know you were sticking to uh, some of the great courses in the UK. Uh, but I see Sweeten's Cove. You have a map for Sweeten's Cove now. So, w- tell me about this worldwide expansion. Where do you go from now? From here?
1: Yeah. So, perhaps with the uh, the website side of things, and then I'll let Joe cover the uh, the map side of things. Um, we're uh, we're continuing to to add information against the courses that we have on the uh, on the website uh, in the the British Isles and and in Ireland. So that will continue to uh, to be expanded. And as well, we've also, um, behind the scenes, been working with uh, a couple of architectural firms and contributing some historical research to perhaps projects that they're undertaking or pitching on or, or the like. Um, and that's a recent addition to, to what we're doing at Evaluate Team is we've made that available to uh, uh, architectural firms or even to courses and clubs themselves. So... Uh, if, if they were looking for historical research, whether that was through uh, publications, newspapers, magazines, old books, all, all the way down to going into the archives at the club, uh, we could help basically curate that collection and, and put together like a um, essentially a master plan of, uh, of what the course was. And then they can use that as they like moving forward to dictate future decisions or restoration or whatever it might be. So that's kind of the next foray for Evaluate Teen is to continue to uh, continue down that route. But perhaps uh, it's it's the next step into perhaps the architectural world for us.
0: That's very cool. That is very we're, cool. We're, we're obsessed with research, aren't we, Jasper, particularly? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I don't relate with that at all, gentlemen. <laughs>
0: So it's research combined with, uh, hopefully, uh, beautiful representations of the information that we're finding and what's most relevant to the uh, to particular subject matter at the time. So, yeah, I mean, the mapping part, I, I, will, I promise I won't bore you with the, uh, the tech detail. Um, but, but the way we operate is to um, initially I, I prototype some maps from uh, readily available online resources. Um, but anything official we're selling in the shop is captured via uh, fresh high res drone survey material which involves thousands of photos which are stitched together um, into a sort of single master high res map. And then part of that process involves merging a 3D model, which has some sort of artificial light shone on across it, um, which simulates a sort of dawn or dusk style lighting, which gives extreme shadowing, pulls out the undulations of the, t- the terrain underneath it. And then that composite, which is merged, I then paint on top of that with digital brushes. So sort of, the whole thing is a, it's quite a convoluted, painstaking process. Um, so for those who like their artwork to come with real headache and uh, toil, you can take that
2: off. <laughs> That's so you it are it a tormented is artist. Is that where we're going? Exactly. There's a lot of
0: hair, hair tearing. Although, well, I, I like that explains bust. the I
2: the long hair and the beard. You know, you're yeah. very much of the, you know, you're an artist. I see you're you're playing the part.
0: Definitely tortured. You should see, tortured you know, artist. Well, yeah, I, what
2: I think there's a, a true beauty that goes with that, though. I, I think, and I've said this before on the podcast that golf course architecture is one of the truly uh, best forms of living artwork, right? Because it, once you build it, it's going to change. I think every golf course architect accepts that one way or the other, whether it's going to elongate or bunkers are going to be moved over the next century or so. I think that's understood, and we're kind of getting into this as we jump into Augusta National. But to have an actual piece of art of that piece of art, is is fantastic and i I, I literally i'm addicted to the old course one i probably look at it every day and i mean i am literally surrounded every piece of art in my office is i don't know probably at least 100 years old maybe i have one that's from the 1920s and this will be literally one of one maybe i think that's you know like new but it represents something old and that's what i love about it
0: very exciting yeah Nice. Well, let's let's Thank jump
2: you. into our subject of the podcast today. Um, you know, the I, I, idea of this podcast was inspired by uh, your current hole-by-hole descriptions of the changes of Augusta National. We'll probably name it the same thing, the evolution of Augusta National. Uh, it has been and continues to be a, a fascinating journey as each day you're releasing a new hole and talking about the changes over time. Uh, how did you guys go about mapping out these changes? Like what kind of source material did you use to really capture the changes? Cause I think it's fascinating. I truly do. And I am literally mesmerized by it. I, th- I think everybody else is and it's on evalu 18.com. And I believe on Instagram and Twitter you're sharing each day. I, I assume as a countdown to the masters, is that fair?
1: That's right, yeah. So the 18th yeah. hole should be done the Wednesday before. So uh, you'll Fantastic. be uh, all swatted up for the beginning of the, uh, the first tee shot. So, yeah, I mean, there is there is a lot of information out there about Augusta. Um, and, I mean, there's some, some brilliant research that's been done. Uh, Ron Witten did quite a lot of writing. Um, Brian Schneider, early in the year, um, he shared quite a lot of information about his thoughts of, the, uh, of Augusta National. So we've uh, taken some of that. Uh, there's obviously the uh, the Mackenzie Research Group. They've got their um, their website, alistairmckenzie.org. So there's quite a lot of information there. And then, of course, Tom Doak's book um, and just various bits and pieces that you can randomly come across online. Uh, but the two things that kind of kicked it off for me was I was able to get a copy, is a reproduction of the 1934 Augusta, first annual Invitational tournament so it wasn't called the masters um, and in there there was uh, in addition to having portraits of all the members there's essentially a, a whole by whole discussion of the um, the Augusta National Golf Club for, for 1934 uh, and that's that's essentially where it started uh, later on I was able to grab a, a very rare um, little publication of the the original green sketches that Alistair Mackenzie uh did, and then gave to um, to Bobby Jones, um, and so there's there's only a limited number of those around, um, but basically between the two, and then comparing with existing research, uh, that's kind of what's uh, led me down this rabbit warren
2: Yeah, and and the course has changed dramatically, and I I don't think it's I don't think we're here to say one is better than the other. We're just here to talk about the evolution. I think we'll finish with talking about. If the three of us were going to lead up some kind of renovation, restoration project, what would we recommend? I think, you know, take that with a grain of salt, Augusta, National. I still would love to play your course someday. So it's, it's <laughs> I was not, gonna say, it's not it's, I am not dictating anything. I think we're just documenting <laughs> the history of each hole. So what we'll do is I'll have you, each one of you talk about, each hole will just go in order one through 18, which of course was flipped from when it opened. And uh, I'll add in at the end of each uh, talk on each hole, I'll talk about a famous shot that was hit or perhaps the most famous shot on each one of those holes, just to add a little uh, color commentary. So how about we start with what once was Cherokee Rose and now is T. Olive.
1: Yeah, very good. So, I guess the, the overriding, uh, one of the things that you'll see when you look at the uh, the artwork uh, from 1934 through to the present day is that the, the the width of the fairways have narrowed considerably and as well, there's a lot more tree cover, um, which I guess is, is something that most people can relate to uh, with regards to even their own golf courses. Um, the interesting thing for me is that um, on the first hole, there was the, the bunker on the right, but then there was also another bunker that was further up the fairway on the left, and no bunkers green side, which is quite interesting. That is and interesting. That's, that's changed now, obviously, uh, where there's just uh, the front left bunker green side, and uh, there's still the, uh, the fairway bunker on the right. But um, yeah, just an uphill, slightly dog leg right.
2: And what did McKinsey say about the hole? How did he describe it?
1: So Mackenzie wrote that the the ideal line was to, to take a straight tee shot and to skirt the group of trees on the right. And the closer you could get to those trees on the right, it would set you up for a second, uh, basically a, a favorable position for the second.
2: Would it be fair to say then if that same line has disappeared, right? I, I mean, I'm looking at it today, the way the tree line has come in on you know, the bunker that has been moved further down the fairway. I think it'd be pretty hard. I don't think that's the ideal line anymore. Would you say based on that?
1: Yeah, it's quite a narrow fairway. I think the, uh, probably where you wanted to be early on was right where the bunker is now. Right. So I guess you could say that there was maybe a little bit of uh, strategy that if you want to get as close as you can to that bunker, it'll give you the line in. Um, but the other thing to keep in mind is with all of these things is that the, uh, when the bunkers changed, so of the greens. The, the greens haven't remained. Uh, they've been rebuilt numerous times uh, since the originals.
2: So what, yeah. w- walk us through the changes. Who, do we have any idea of who made these changes
0: to the first hole or the timing of them? The answer is yes. Uh, Jasper, have you got your notes there? <laughs> I have <them>. a <laughs> <laughs>
2: Well, I know tr- Robert Trent Jones came in in the 1950s. Yeah. Did he? I think he made some
0: changes there. Does that sound fair? That's correct. Yeah, he filled been- in the short left bunker. Yeah, the short left bunker. We should just point out. I mean, obviously, that has completely dictated the strategy of the hole. I mean, in the days of low-flying ball flights and, um, and old equipment, of course, that, that sort of well-short of the green approach bunker was was deeply in play for, for pretty much everybody who hit a left-sided drive. So clearly, the, the drive to to play was down the right-hand side, so that bunker wasn't in play. Um, clearly, when that bunker was taken out, a drive down the left was far more attractive because then your, your shot into the green wasn't troubled by that one.
2: It also should be noted that um, I, I think I have... 22 bunkers on the original design i I don't i think that's at least doubled in modern years and we have many holes that we'll get into that don't have a single bunker on the original design Mm. i I understand from reading some of your notes that uh, mckinsey's drawings pre-construction 1931 the watercolors are actually different than what
1: we might have received yeah that's the really interesting bit so there's essentially uh well you could say three main documents So the first one is a watercolor that Mackenzie did in November 1931. So that was a, what you could say is a rough, uh, a rough watercolor, Uh, essentially shows the center lines, uh, the T's, the greens, and then rough sketches of where the bunkers would be. Uh, Obviously the map is pretty loosely based uh, with regards to scale. Um, But that's November 1931. Uh, And then... Essentially, uh, June, so the the following spring or or summer, June 1932, actually, um, he has a more detailed uh, and scaled drawn course map. So it has quite a lot more uh, details with regards to the the bunkering, the the green shapes, uh, the center lines and course routing, and as well, some of the foliage that obviously he wanted to see there. And then that's where it really gets interesting. Because following that, uh, you get to basically a few months later, November 1932, and you have the Olmsted, uh map, which were the landscape architects. And that was the, the as-built drawings. So presumably, uh, that is what was there when they finished. Um, but there's some significant differences between what Mackenzie painted, what he sketched. And then what was basically determined even just a few months later as as-built.
2: So what stands out between that vision process and the as-built? So is it bunkers? Is it shape of the green? How does that play out?
1: So I think on the watercolor, uh, for me, there's just some really interesting um, green shapes and bunkers. So for example, um, what was the original 18th or the... Now, ninth. That was the, the boomerang green, everyone knows it as. Yeah. Um, but originally, it was uh, oval shaped and it almost had like a horseshoe bunker around the back inside.
2: Yes. Absolutely. It. It's so beautiful.
1: Um, so, it, it's, I, I think that's a fascinating thing for me is that uh, we, we sometimes think, well, you know, 1934, Alistair McKenzie, that was Augusta National in its purest form. Sure. Um, but there is a chance, a possibility that perhaps what he originally envisioned and what he thought he had built in June 1932 uh, was already altered by the time November 1932 came, and we have the as-built drawings.
2: you know, to that point, you know, uh, the United States is in a Great Depression. Augusta National didn't have the money that it thought it would have. And, you know, again, it's a course with 22 bunkers. Now, he did Bayside right before that which was not quite bunkerless, but it had very few bunkers. And he was using shapes in the land to dictate style of play and strategy. And I I think there's a little bit of that in the original Augusta National with some of the the, the helixes and and bumps and, and frays in front of the greens that have been eliminated over time. It would be great to see Value 18 draw up an actual map using just those images to show us what it would be i'm not going to say you should i'm just saying it would be great (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm not getting a comment (laughs) there's a long pause as they figure out litigation and whether it's possible
0: (laughs) yeah you've hit upon one of the chief reasons why half the course not done yet absolutely absolutely wranglings
2: uh any Um, other things we should talk about on the on the first hole before i go into some color commentary on the first
1: yeah just one interesting little thing is that uh, obviously when we um the the original green as most people would have known it for opening day augusta nineteen thirty four no green side bunkers but in or in mackenzie's original uh sketch there was two one left one right front is, uh, front left red. front right yeah front left, and then rear right oh rear right interesting yeah. but they didn't uh, and then make that it was out also okay replicated in his green sketch so.
0: Sure, and as the the as-built um, image from the Onsteds plan has the uh, the left-hand side bunker on fl- uh, flanking the green on the left, which was then subsequently not in the sketch uh, made for the thirty-four brochure. Yeah. Mm.
2: Well, I'll go into my color commentary. So we'll get a little bit of history with the evolution of design. Uh, the Masters is filled with some amazing moments, some sad ones. In 2016, the first hole might have added 10 years to a player's life when Hall of Famer Ernie L six-putted from inside three feet on the very first screen. A moment that will unfortunately live in infamy. And if you're listening, Ernie, I am sorry. I love you. I did not mean to bring it up. <laughs> How about we jump into uh, hole number two, which was once called Woodbine. Did not know that, by the way. And now it's called Pink Dogwood.
0: Lovely. <laughs> big bunker. The big bunker is uh, is a huge feature in the it older is. maps and the older designs, um, which has now been lost. And it's the, a just so device.
2: people understand, it's a center line bunker right in the middle of the heart of the fairway. Fair, big fat one.
0: Yeah, it's one of the most. I think it is potentially the biggest bunker that was ever built on the property at any point. Unbelievable.
2: Do we know how far th- out that was, Joe? Do we have any? I mean it yeah, doesn't look like far. it looks yeah, like maybe a two hundred yard carry, would that be exactly. fair?
0: Yeah, exactly. Off the T yeah, of slightly yeah.
1: downhill as well.
0: Mm. Right. I think it was am I right in saying was it Gene Sarazen who said it just shouldn't exist anymore? It's pointless. Take it away. It's not actually adding to anything strategic and we all carry it. I think that was his suggestion. Damn you Gene. And then Hogan <laughs> Yeah Gee <laughs> Done to us. And then uh, I think it was Hogan who suggested um, a a bunker that would catch the drive more readily that it should be put out on the right hand side. Uh, sorry, apologies on the inside. He he was uh, he said dog leg. Don't have it on the outside of the dog leg. Uh, put it on the inside. But anyway, they they, they
2: clearly the listened to him as they put it on the right side of the dog leg. Indeed. <laughs> what is he? Doing? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm guessing Clifford Roberts heard that complaint <laughs> and well uh, did his little work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Not everything lifted was was amazing.
2: Yeah. so again, <laughs> t- talk a little bit about what it was. Uh, maybe Alistair McKenzie's thoughts on the hole and how to play it. Uh, did it have any it had the centerline bunker. Did it have any more bunkers on that dog leg left?
0: in, in 34 it did. It was uh, it was on the right hand side of the green. Um, in 32, the as built. Uh, let me just check my notes here. The 32 has built, a had short right as well. So between the 32 and 34 uh, imagery we have, there's definitely a, a greenside bunker on the right-hand side. So anyone dr- yeah, driving down the right-hand side of the fairway was a, a sort of negative, I would say.
2: Interesting. And so how, how has it changed? So, I mean, I think this is going to be a common story, but it's definitely narrowed. That is for sure. Um, from of a strategic course. standpoint, they went against what Hogan said and put it right where he didn't want it. Um, <laughs> right. What other strategic right. elements of design kind of changed in the last 70-so years?
1: I thought that was an interesting one, too. Um, the the one, one individual that I read about, uh, I think it was Ron Witten, mentioned the, the corridor to the left of that bunker. Uh, was as narrow as twelve yards at one point. Um, and it was actually Tom Fazio that made some uh, changes to move it over to the right a little bit, uh, which allowed uh, a wider corridor playing the left. so uh, interesting one there. Uh, it, it basically brought um, the you know the 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 need for an accurate drive if you wanted to take that on and to get it down a little bit past the dog leg. I think it's an interesting thing, too, to uh, to state that. Bobby Jones felt that with par fives um, and, it, and it would appear that Alistair MacKenzie felt the same way, especially at Augusta national should all be reachable in two uh, for the longest and straightest and most powerful hitters. So basically if they hit two perfect shots, they would have a chance to be on in two. Uh, and, and I guess that's why even with this one, although it was 525 yards and downhill by quite a lot, 80 feet, um, It still would have been possible uh, to get there in two, but you would have had to thread the needle twice,
0: essentially. It's true. The green shape has changed significantly as well. It's gone from being originally a, a sort of kidney shape um, into more of a sort of uniformly, um, I don't know how to describe it, triangular shape with rounded edges with bunkers on both sides, protecting each side. Um, I believe that was for more uh, pinnable positions and enabled them to you know, make it more difficult da- uh, from a, a drive hitting the left side of the fairway to then have to carry to a pin just over the uh, over the bunker on the near left.
2: Yeah, that seems to be a common element around the greens, uh, the changes over time seems to be as, as hilly as those greens are, or sloped is probably a better word for it. Some of them have had decreased slope, and we've lost some of the, I'd say, really unique shapes in those greens, not to mention just the greens, but some of the, the built in hills around those greens have been dampened or all out eliminated. Would that be fair?
0: Almost certainly. I think pinnable positions is the key key word. While we're running at sort of very high stem absolutely, it's yeah. impossible. Changed a so lot we since to, the 1930s. Absolutely. Indeed, I think this is one for our later discussion. But if we were to try and restore in inverted commas, I think it comes with a lot of extra headaches. Yeah, <laughs> and absolutely. rolling the back of stuff. Yeah.
2: Any any extra thoughts on two before I give a the colour analysis?
0: I want to hear that colour.
1: <clears throat> Bring it on.
2: Bring it on. All right. Well, these, some of these are very memorable moments. I did that for, on purpose. Some are from the far back past. But uh, the second hole, Louis Ustazen, played in the 2012 Masters, Hold out with a four iron on the second hole, a par five. The ball rolled for a near 16 seconds before finding the bottom of the cup. It ended up tying Ustazen for the lead and eventually put Ustie into a playoff with Bubba Watson. It was only the fourth albatross in Masters history. There you go. Oh, yeah. All right, let's let's jump into the third. Finally, we get to a hole that's name hasn't changed. Mm. If you guys, maybe I'll do the history on why the names changed and nobody will listen to that podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> that's literally how my mind works. Like I really care about things that nobody else does, and that's why I, usually better decisions are made and I don't make that podcast. So let's let's go into uh, one hole that hasn't changed in length. The uh, previous two holes we had pretty, significant changes, uh, almost in 50 yards to each one. And we get into a shorter hole, uh, the mm-hmm. 350 yard flowering peach. Why don't you dive in?
1: So that, that's one thing that I really found interesting is that, uh, this is one hole, as you mentioned that, that hasn't changed really that much. I mean, there was one massive bunker on the left-hand side that was ultimately replaced by what well, is now four, um, but around the green, there's still just only the, the one bunker on the left. Uh, what I find interesting is that although it's 350 yards, and it was in the beginning and it is roughly that now, um, historically, it's played over par for the tournament. Um, and it's quite intriguing because as uh, they've tried to add um, distance to, to deal with obviously you know all, all the different f- uh, variables that, that supposedly make golf easier especially for you know the top 1% of the 1%, um, th- this is one that's still stood the test of time, still a test. Uh, and you, you find that repeatedly through through the course, as uh, the shorter holes have historically tended to be uh, the ones that are a bit more stout, would you say?
0: Could be. Could also be to do with the fact that it's the third hole in the round and they're yet to get things going.
2: Moving the, nice. moving, the people through. What what did Alistair McKenzie have to say about the strategic nature of the third hole?
1: So it, essentially, the the green was placed on a natural uh, plateau, so the the left was very narrow and the right was very broad. So you you wanted to be on the right side of the fairway, uh, and then that would open up. Obviously, the the left hand pin position, if the if the flag was there, and then you would have the the whole right to shoot at. Um, but anything to the left, you'd have to deal with that bunker. And if you weren't there, then no doubt uh, all the mounds around it would also influence perhaps your eyeline and your angle. I, I,
2: one of the other things I find fascinating from the notes you sent me uh, under points to ponder is, again, the watercolor. Because hmm. it differs from what was delivered and what we have today, including a creek, which is absolutely fascinating. Do, can you dive in a little bit of the uh, the watercolor and... Let's call it McKinsey's, I don't know if you want to call it a dream or an imagination sketch of what might have been, at least in his mind.
1: Yeah, so that's a quite interesting one because from the – it's difficult to know whether the decisions with uh, drainage were down to cost or if they were just going (laughs) to stick with um, creeks to to try and get the water away. Uh, But essentially there would have been a a carry over a creek from the Tee and then on the original watercolour that looks like a diagonal, almost Harry Colt-esque uh, cross bunker uh, before you get to the, the two bunkers that we know on the, the left-hand side of the fairway and then the left-hand side of the green. So 12 originally, despite being a, a shorter hole, uh, according to the watercolour, would have had a creek and a bunker to carry uh, before you approach shot in.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> We should just caveat that by saying his his creek uh, additions and his watercolors were all nice uh, blue, full of water. Creek. Never a boring <laughs> dry creek, reality, right? Yeah. no way, <laughs> no way. But uh, yes, most most, if not all, were pretty dry most of the year. Uh, I believe there were there was some instances where when the water did need to carry through, um, they buried they actually buried it beneath the, uh, with pipework yeah. beneath the surface, just to move water so, from the property. That makes surface. a lot of sense.
2: Oh, any other notes to ponder on our our third hole, flowering peach? Yeah, that's. I mean, mo- this is one of the most unchanged holes, which is kind of remarkable in its sense when you consider all the changes that have happened.
1: Yeah, well, just one, yeah. just one little point. So it's, um, it's an interesting one. The um, in, in the program, it looks like they've taken or lifted some of the the hole diagrams from the general plan from 1932, the as-built Olmsted as-built. Uh, but there are some tweaks and changes in the program itself, and one of the things I I just noticed today, although I've looked at this for for literally months now, um, is that there's these small mounds or islands, donuts, knobs, whatever you want to call them, um, almost like the 18th at Muirfield, Tom Simpson-esque, um, where and, and you you can see it. Um, where are in they the in program. the program? So the so the left-hand side. Uh, bunker, the green, yep, there's uh, a bunker and then you can see what looks to be like a a small little mound that's in the middle of the bunker and it's difficult to see exactly whether that would have been right on the edge or if there would have been sand around it. But later on, um, we'll see, I believe on 14 and 18, um, the the same feature uh, again. So it's the first time that I had seen that outside of uh, of Tom Simpson, but it appears that uh, perhaps, perhaps Alistair McKenzie had them, uh, or they were put in between June and November. So w- do we think
2: they were on the course? I mean, it's in the program, correct?
1: In the program and on the excellent drawing. So
2: something something happened. Uh, well, clearly, kind of, it looks like early on in its evolution that removed them. Mm. Interesting.
0: Yeah. So the, the the drawings in the brochure are either done as deliberately as a contribution to the to the brochure by uh, whoever it is the draftsman at the Omstead Brothers firm, uh, because they're identical um, styles. Uh, as Jasper says, it may be that they were taken and altered, or they were done um, bespoke, custom for this for wow, brochure. Wow, that's very cool. But it's the same. But I, it's same.
2: this stuff I just find fascinating. Right? It's just been. What I find fascinating about the work you're doing and and specifically us talking about it here on the podcast is there's a lot of bits and pieces of this information. There's not one place that I found that people can go to specifically free to access like your website to actually learn more about how this evolved. There have been newspaper articles that hit on some of these things, but I haven't seen any, I mean, probably because you can't do that deep of a dive in in 3,000 words right? And you guys are crazy. Clearly you guys are nuts. So that you're my kind of crazy. I love it. All right. I'm going to give you the color commentary from uh, one South African to another. Uh, Charles Swartzel eagled the third hole in the 2011 masters by knocking it in from 114 yards. He won the 2011 masters after effectively being three under through the first three holes and then making history by burning the final four holes to close the deal the only man ever to close out the Masters winning it with four birdies in a row. There you go. Now we're going to go into the fourth hole, which, depending on how you look at it, uh, I guess you'd call it the first template, although it wasn't a template in the same sense of McDonald and Rayner consider their templates. We'd call it a strategic element that they would borrow from a famous hole, or I always refer to uh, the Masters as Bobby Jones ultimate trophy case, because many of these ideal holes or strategic elements were taken from golf courses he either loved or won on. So it was like his collection of trophies all built into this course. And the first one we're going to hit is, I'd say a homage to the Eden hole at the old course at St. Andrews. So please take it off. Go from there.
1: Yes, yeah, so this is quite interesting. Um, and repeatedly, as you go through, um, you touched on it as well. It's not a typical template hole where all the features will be there. Essentially, it appears that uh, Mackenzie uh, took a certain element of that hole that he felt made it particularly good and then worked that into his design. Uh, perhaps the, the Eden template is a little bit easier to see uh, than some of the others because you've got the, uh, the, the green shape. And then the two bunkers just in front, uh, left and right of that front tongue. Um, there, there was uh, some discussion about this earlier in the year on social media. And it was Brian Schneider who uh, basically came up with the fact that um, it, it doesn't appear that that uh, front tongue would have ever been pinnable.
2: I mean, it looks like in the photos, like... I, does it look six yards wide to you? I mean, I don't know what it is, but it is truly a tongue <laughs> to that green. Is that a, that's a fair statement. I mean, it's, it's one of the most wild greens you will ever see. If you can find a photo of the original green on the fourth hole at Augusta national, you need to see this. Am I wrong?
1: Uh, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, talk about, talk about width, Alistair. You had a little width there and that's a pinnable location. <laughs> so one time Alistair McKenzie gets away from with on his green exactly. no, I'm kidding sorry Alistair I didn't mean it
0: it took for, it took 20 years for that to uh, to be the case I think they, they've finally widened that piece of the uh, of the green and brought it into play
2: and the tongue is gone unfortunately yeah or fortunately depending on how you look at it how how has the whole changed it, it's been lengthened
1: quite a bit I understand it's 200
0: so the- 200 and what nearly, nearly 250 now is it
1: yeah, that, and that's an interesting one, 250 uh, or 240, uh, originally 190, so, but you think 1934, uh, you know, playing that shot, um, I, I guess the, the reason for the tongue was that they would hopefully be more receptive to a running shot in. But you think from, from 190 in 1934, then for most people that would have been the requisite shot to try and access anything on that back shelf. Um, uh, now, obviously, it's more of an aerial game, and I think this is this is another thing that you see when you start looking through the research or looking at what Mackenzie's notes were, was that a lot of the designs that he made was for the the running game, um, as opposed to the aerial game that's played now. He he
2: actually makes note of that. You say in your uh, your strategic explanation, he kind of takes—would it be fair to say—a minor shot at most Eden holes.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I don't even think some- <laughs> it's not, maybe not the
2: shot at it, but I think it's probably um turf conditions I think he's probably addressing as much as anything
1: absolutely. I mean, well, he basically says most Edens fail, so it's <laughs> pretty pretty direct um, but the explanation for it is that the turf was too soft, which would lend itself again to a running shot in, or the slopes are not severe enough, um, but that's obviously one thing that Mackenzie didn't mind was a, a severe slope here and there.
2: no, he did not. Um, how about the watercolor again 1931 are there is there anything in his you know envisioning of augusta national that really make are there any big changes or is it pretty close to what we what was originally designed i shouldn't say what exists there now
0: well the road was always in play for a nicely thinned long iron out the back (laughs) that's not changed yep and
1: it does appear that on 13, there was a, a bunker short right as well. Um, so the two bunkers, green side left and right, on the other side of that tongue, but then another bunker uh, short and right. That doesn't seem to have made it past uh, conception stage. It's interesting, though, that uh, even on the green sketch, uh, and there's quite a lot of parallels between the 1933 dated green sketch and the, the 31 watercolor, uh, there does show a depression Um the same depth as the right-hand bunker um, just before the green, about, well, it's 10, 10 foot per square. So probably about 30 feet before the green, there's a, a depression there that's listed. So maybe that was the, uh, the bunker that you see on the watercolor.
2: Interesting. And again, I, I forgot to mention, it was once called Palm, is now called Flowering Crabapple. How go. did I not know that that was called Flowering Crabapple? <laughs> there is no way I didn't know that. How did I not know that? Flowering Crabapple the name of the hole. How did I, I, did not know that. How
1: is that not registered? No, it's amazing. Some of these ones. Um, but that's another one that I think, uh, I mean, I, I didn't know. And that's something that I've learned is that they actually had a beautification committee. Um, and there obviously was, uh, a group of individuals that were, you know, quite involved in making decisions, which vegetation, which plantings would go around which holes, uh, all for the, uh, the sole purpose of of making it absolutely gorgeous and beautiful, which is much like what we see today. Really.
2: Any other points before I go into my color here? It's my, this one's really short. Um, the fourth hole, there's only been one hole in one on this par three in master's history made in 1992 by Jeff Sluman. Fun little fact now at 240 yards, Now, that's not hard to imagine. (laughs) There may never be another one. (laughs) But so many amazing shots, so many amazing um, you know, albatrosses that have happened some in our lifetime, and yet only one hole-in-one on that hole. I find that fascinating. Now, as we jump into the fifth, we go into another homage hole. I'm not going to call it a template anymore. I'm going to call it an homage hole. And this one, if you look at it and you look hard, I swear to God you can't see it. And that's the road hole. It's going the wrong direction. There's no road hole bunker. It is, it's an enigma. Like if you looked at it, stared at it for hours, even if you, I told you it was a reverse road hole, you'd have a really hard time finding it. So dive into the road hole. And what did McKinsey say about it?
1: Yeah. So this one's quite interesting for me. Um, So, Again, it comes back to that point that we mentioned previously, is that when he made these holes, he wasn't actually taking the hole in its entirety. Uh, Oftentimes he was taking just like an element of it. And it would appear um, that he took um, for the the road hole, um, there's a slight uh, group of trees that would form the corner of the dog leg uh, instead of the station master's garden. So that that was kind of what he put on the corner. Um, but then he also says that uh, it would be the green. So the fact that it was a plateau um, green is is what he took. And the the interesting thing about that is that the original green had no bunkers. Uh, and I think when most people think about road hole, uh, they think about well,
2: road hole How can you not have the road bunker? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's death at the back, right? Massive sl- slope at the back and, uh, and kicks off everything. But, but without a bunker, it's very hard to see the... the it truly comparison.
2: is. Now, and to our knowledge, there was never a fronting bunker that would bring in that specific strategic element. Interesting. So it was more about the tee shot, perhaps, than the strategic element of the green side, other than the plateau.
1: Yeah, it's quite interesting. Again, you go back to the watercolor. Um, and <laughs> it almost looks like he did the watercolor. And right where you would expect the road hole bunker to be, um, kind of front, middle of the green, it, it looks like someone's almost had a small pot bunker and then almost colored it in with pencil. Uh, so whether that was ever yellow uh, and then he, he like, filled it in with pencil or not, I don't know. Um, Does it look like definitely-
2: there's a, a depression at least where the road hole... I mean, is it, could it be a grassy bunker well, on or am the, I just really stretching for something?
1: <laughs> on the original green sketch behind the green, it's labeled hollow. So, I mean, uh, that would follow the, um, the, the, the hole in at St. Andrews, but then also in the front, there is a, a, a severe, uh, swale to the front and a depression, um, with seven foot difference between the bottom of the swale and the top of the green. So whether that made it in, uh, Probably, it appears not as a bunker, but... Uh,
2: Fascinating to me, right?
1: A deep swale yeah. that would have been roughly probably seven or eight uh, feet square, and again, seven, about seven feet deep. It's quite interesting.
2: And again, we've got another hole where we've added, what, 50 yards to? I mean, I love... All these par fours or par fives for me. I don't know what's happening here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> there seems to be a
2: trend in my game where I'm playing these in three versus uh, trying to get there in two.
0: Well, it's, it's always interesting, isn't it? When you when you run out of space and you um you come up against an obstacle like a road, how do you get around it and extend the hole? You you just rebuild the road. No worries, just take the road around it. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, they have got that similarity. at an St Andrews, have not they? So the old course they've just uh, gone out of bounds with the championship team. No worries.
2: Oh, all right. So we've, we've added length. We've certainly got more narrow. And we've added a bunker to the... We've added two bunkers. Well, I guess the, there was an additional bunker there prior and when it was first built. But there's two new bunkers in the fairway that have moved further down the fairway and a bunker to the back. Correct.
0: That's right. There was some there, there was some um, very bad press about the the new positioning of the two bunkers, which have been moved, you know, at least a hundred yards uh, further on, because uh, they're they're so raised, they're at the top of the sort of apex of the hill, and they're so um, kind of visually, they don't fit with the landform at all. Uh, so they just sit proud. It's like it's been perched, the second bunker perched on top of the hill. So it's not not particularly pretty.
2: Any other notes before I give a little color on this one?
1: I thought just one little point was uh, with regards to the, um, the, the original road hole. Um, when, when you look at it, it's probably features, again, that most of us don't even pay attention to when we play it uh, because for all intents and purposes, they, they don't come into into play. But if it was working as a like kind of a reverse road hole, um, the original bunker, kind of the, the larger one that was at the apex of the corner, uh, was that cheap's difficult to say and then the one further up on the left you know was that combined progressing in scholars um again most of those now don't come into play because you know you carry the, the corner over the yeah. hotel, and then you just worry about not going in the road hole bunker but again if you're playing hickories um and even with a haskell then those 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 would have definitely come into play
2: changes quite um, a bit absolutely absolutely so my, my commentary here goes to Jack Nicklaus. Obviously, we know how much Jack Nicklaus was a fan of both Augusta National and the old course, so this probably isn't a surprise. Uh, but Jack Nicklaus may love the par four fifth hole at Augusta as one of his best. In 1995, Nicklaus did something quite phenomenal. He holed out for Eagle on both Thursday and Saturday, Thursday and Saturday rounds. I mean, the guy loves the old course. And he loves Augusta. Only Jack's going to do that. 1995, nine years after winning his last Masters. Wouldn't call that his last hurrah, but of course Jack Nicklaus is, oddly enough, featured prominently on my list. No shocker there. <laughs> no shocker at all. So again, we're going into another one of my favorite template holes. Again, we're not calling it that, but the Redan. Uh, how did McKinsey and Bob Jones envision the Redan 6th? At Augusta National, which is called Juniper, which uh, I believe—gosh—is this right? It was. Has it actually been shortened over time? Uh, has it? I guess it depends on where you put the T's. But I've I got an, a, a 185 and 180. I mean, what's? I think Augusta. As soon as they hear this, they change that. It's going to be
1: 204. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's what that's what it says. Looking at the uh, the latest. Uh, uh, yeah, it's fascinating, right? On the, uh, on the website. Yeah, so yeah, quite interesting. One of the holes that's been supposedly shortened.
2: Walk through McKinsey and Jones' version of the Radan, or at least their homage to the Radan. How was it set up originally? Um, and perhaps, how has it changed? The, I tell you, the shape of that hole is unbelievable compared to what it was, is today. Am I wrong? The green specifically?
1: No, Absolutely.
0: It's inverted almost
1: right so the uh, obviously the 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 redan in north berwick um will, will take a, a shot that's coming in right to left and that was very similar to what was done here so it's it, it, compared to the the last one like the road hole it's not in reverse it, it's true to form and obviously it was the uh, the large back of the green um that was eventually labeled the buried elephant the, the massive mound um but that would obviously help shape the shot to to get into the uh, a running shot to the left hand side behind that massive bunker. Uh, but it's quite interesting that Mackenzie um, said that the the fifteenth, well, what 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 was the fifteenth, um, was better than the original uh, in the sense that it was more attractive due to the visibility, lie of the land, and the beauty of the surroundings. So he didn't make mention of the uh, the actual play big words <laughs> but it just looked a lot i don't better.
2: i don't know if mcdonald <laughs> ever made that claim that he ever built a, a dam that was better than the original at north berwick
0: should we should we just be fair to um mr mckenzie who can't speak for himself here in saying that perhaps when he was um asked to do this this the blurbs for these holes for the pamphlet he was helping sell real estate and memberships definitely some have,
2: marketing uh, involved <laughs>
0: Exactly. My turned it on a little bit. It's
2: like every golf course architect that just finishes the course, it's the greatest they've ever built.
0: Absolutely,
2: the greatest championship test of all time. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So I understand there was once a stream and then a pond on this hole. Is that is that right?
0: That's right. They toyed around with the uh, the damming of the of the streams and how the water flowed uh, eventually. Um, completely, Obviously, we'll come on to it, but eventually completely changing the shape of the 16th and how it played and what they did with the water there, um, which also influenced what happened further down Rays Creek and for the other holes as well, that, where that comes into play. Yeah, you, one wonders
2: if that creek kind of came into play when they were thinking about the design of this hole and the influence of a Redan, uh, perhaps the creek taking the place of one of the fronting bunkers at North Could Barrett.
0: Be, when you look at it from top down, it doesn't; it barely resembles a redown, other than the fact that the green is right to left, and and it's a par three. <laughs> right. You know, but um, <laughs> really, I mean, aesthetically speaking, as we've just heard, it was a pretty hole, and I think that's where the comparison stops, probably. Uh,
2: any changes from McKinsey's imagining of the hole to what was delivered, and what may have appeared in the first Masters.
1: So just with regards to the watercolor, it, uh, on his original original rendering of the course, uh, again, November 31, there was a, a bunker front and then there was one actually rear as well. Uh, but he does definitely show the shot shape coming in the, the same direction, kind of coming into the front and then looping around uh, as you'd expect a redan to play.
2: Do we know when we lost that? It's almost, It's almost like a clover-shaped green to me. In the original. Do we know when that was augmented? I
0: think it was do you a have any idea change, from your sketches? When you say augmented, do you mean changed? Reshaped. A whole, sorry, reshaped. Uh, in what respect? Reshaped entirely?
2: Yeah, I just, I'd just i say the overall shape of the green has changed in the last 70 years from my view of it. Versus what we have today. Which is, seems to be a little bit more rounded with less... I don't know, finger to it, I guess I would call it.
0: I, I believe it's been through several changes um, since, I think, 81 it was rebuilt. Uh, I think they had to change the composition of the, um, the the sand and the actual turf beneath it in order to, for it to drain and stuff. And then they added the, the heating and cooling um, systems. But uh, I think since uh, later than the 60s, it would appear that uh, sometime after that, it was completely remodeled. It kept the elephant.
2: It kept the elephant, which you got to like.
0: <laughs> I'm worried. Uh, any,
2: any, other, any other points on the Redan before we jump in? I'll go into the color if we don't.
1: It's straight on, yeah.
2: All right. Um, on the sixth, perhaps the most famous shot on the par three sixth is held by Billy Joe Patton, who was an amateur playing the 1954 Masters when he made a hole-in-one. Patton led the Masters and was on pace to become its first amateur champion when he decided to go for the 13th in two. His shot hit a little bit thin, found Ray's creek, and recorded a double bogey, missing a two-man playoff with Ben Hogan and Sam Snead by a single stroke. Beyond Patton's water ball on the 13th, the 13th would play another major role in determining the outcome of the 1954 Masters that will jump in when we hit the 13th. Let's get to number seven, the seventh hole, which is another one that, <laughs> I mean, you're like, it's modeled upon the home hole and it makes a lot more sense. This is this fair to say? It makes a lot more sense if you think of the home hole as that hole was originally built and set up. It's a lot different than what we have today. Jump into the seventh hole at Augusta National. Uh, I think I it's pronounced, is it? Pampas? I'm not I'm not 100% sure. I apologize oh, to anybody who knows that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, this is one of the holes that, that's really changed. Um, uh, perhaps, maybe, in, I mean, in, in distance, uh, it's added 110 yards. Um, it and was originally
2: 340 yards, correct?
1: That's yeah. right, which wouldn't yeah. have been put uh, much off really what the actual road hole would have been in, in St. Andrews or the home hole. The, sorry, yeah, the home hole, yeah. No worries. And uh, obviously, no bunkers that were on the hole originally, uh, where you find five now, three in the front
0: and two in the back. Sure. There, I mean, clearly, there are experts who know this stuff much, much better than I do or we do, but um, even at 340 yards, while still eminently drivable for somebody like Bobby Jones, um, even, you know, because there's no trouble in front other than the slope, um, he could still, you know, he could still give it an awful thrash, and the 340 was well within his grasp.
2: And he definitely, it essentially had its own little valley of sin. Indeed. Running up, which a, yeah. do we, actually, do we know, now there are bunkers fronting uh, that uh, green. What, do we know when that was put in? What, do we know when the
0: bunkers were added? 39, I think. Okay, well, so was that
2: part of the Perry Maxwell redesign of that hole?
0: Yes, and uh, Cliff, Clifford Roberts gets a gets a credit also for that. Yeah, which, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's <That's> right. <laughs> <laughs> it make your own conclusions.
2: Yeah, maybe go through that a little bit. Walk through the uh, the change in the eighth, nineteen
0: thirty 1938-1939. Well, there's a, I mean, there was a, there was a lifted portion at the back of the green, a raised portion, and uh, and I know artificial. It, is it fair
2: to say artificial?
0: I think the raised portion was there anyway but they just Mm. decided to take the green wholesale, lift it up, and stick it onto the plateau. They removed the tongue, and they introduced three bunkers across the front. Um, I'm not sure what the need was for the three bunkers, considering it was such a raised portion and would have been difficult enough to hit as it is. Um, But anyway, somebody decided the bunkers were necessary, and we've had them ever since.
2: In Maxwell, it looks like he abandoned the idea of perhaps the homage to the home hole and took his own homage from another golf course ranked quite high. Could you go into that?
1: Yes, yeah, so that was quite interesting. Um, I came across this again, I think it was Ron Witten that wrote about it, um, that it was actually modeled after Pine Valley's eighth. So it went from no bunkers with the, uh, <laughs> the home hole and then uh, to, to three in front. And then actually later on, there was uh, two bunkers added by George Cobb. Um, so they they, they went from none to to three in the front, and then added two in the back, and then that stayed ever since.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. So it's it's changed. I mean, it's changed quite a bit. It's really it's a fascinating. Obviously, the addition of trees on both the left and right side of the fairway, and then the bunkers. Just yeah. The, when you hear when you if if you were just to tell somebody, this hole was modeled after the home hole. <laughs> I, I think, yeah. I think you'd get somebody, you know, saying which home hole I don't think you're, is it the new course? I mean, I think they'd ask something, you know, not much resemblance anymore.
1: Certainly. Yeah, no, you wouldn't be able to see it. That's for sure.
2: And I think I, I'm going to allow you to add the color commentary on this. But um, before we go there, what did uh, Alistair McKenzie have any uh, strategic explanation for the whole? How did he describe the hole?
1: Yeah, so essentially said it's similar in character to the 18th hole at St. Andrews. And, and it was the Valley of Sin, that the, the element that he was taking. He says there's a deep hollow at the front of the green, which uh, w- which it is necessary to attack at the correct angle of par figures to be obtained. So um, essentially encouraging, again, this uh, thought of a run-up shot to to be able to, uh, to get to that green and access any of the pin locations on the back.
2: Did his watercolor change much? Nineteen thirty-one. Was there a uh, anything that he envisioned that may have, you know, changed from application in construction?
0: That's a good question.
2: <clears throat> it uh, looks uh, like maybe there was a creek on the rear of the green. Does that sound right?
0: Not really. I know there was a creek that cut across the fairway, but it wasn't really in play on the drive yeah then
1: it uh, does appear as well um, yeah that uh 15 16, the um there there may well have been a bunker originally at the rear of the green um but again to catch the uh, those
2: long shots of the, the people the perhaps, perhaps trying through. to drive the green
1: that's it yeah So, yeah, so a creek uh, on the original watercolor and then a a bunker to the back. But it doesn't appear that that's uh, necessarily um, made it past uh, November 1931.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it begs the question. I I think I'd love to see not necessarily the architecture involved, but maybe it's the architecture involved in the actual, If finding the actual original location of that green 340 yards from the tee box would be fascinating to me. And just seeing I mean, the landscape around it, right? And how, you know, are yeah. there any, you know, pieces of that that still exist that you can tell was once a green, or have they been bulldozed and lost forever?
0: They are bunkers.
2: Yeah. <laughs> just <saying. laughs> As I said yeah. in the last podcast, doth cut too deep,
0: uh, yeah. <laughs> right? Once <laughs> the valley
2: <laughs> of sin is now the valley of your sin because you were in that bunker.
0: Uh, yep. What have you done? Anything oh, well. else yeah. to note on uh, on the seventh? No, it's interesting. This is something we might come up um, onto later. But the 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 planting of trees, um, I I don't know fully, but but obviously in the creation of the course there was um, th- there were a lot of t- trees taken out in order to make you know fairwayable, um, greenable areas. Um, but then obviously there was a big planting. Um, a session that took place uh, soon after if not during um 1934 where fresh trees were were bedded in and i think you can see from earlier um aerials that the trees were sort of sapling size and have now obviously grown to full maturity um so they they obviously were intended to be part of the strategy at least in 1934 uh, sadly mackenzie died by that stage but the um but but they were obviously intended to be part of the game. Uh, whether or not they were intended to be fully fledged, overhanging, massively corridor creating trees is another question. But but they were definitely meant to be there.
2: It's definitely something we should bring up at the end. Here mm-hmm. is that you know the the vision of Augusta National in Mackenzie and Bobby Jones' eyes, at least in the beginning. I, I'm going to allow for the fact that you know things evolve and and times change. Was definitely that more of open corridors different angles into greens less suggestive of you have to hit here more so it's better if you hit here and if you take this easy out you may have a struggle with your next shot into the green and i think anytime you narrow fairways it's going to eliminate some of those options again we're dealing with the greatest players that ever played the game so i understand those changes happening uh, my color for the uh, the home hole, and it's one that you noted actually in your notes uh, that Byron Nelson drove the green in 1937, which was playing as we mentioned at 340 yards at length. So the the old boys could still hit that rock around, folks. Absolutely. Just so you know. Sure, All right, sure. nice let's, let's, nice dry
0: fairway helps. That's that's right.
2: <laughs> I know. It's a, it kind of hurts so bad. I'd love to see a, a, a nice little. Uh, valley of sin back in augusta but that's okay i don't get nothing anything
0: wrong. i want nothing wrong with a bit of brown here and there
2: yeah uh so let's yeah. jump into the eighth we're off the uh the template run or the uh, homage run and we have uh what is now or i guess it's yellow jasmine it's always been yellow jasmine we just want to make sure and again we've added looks like 70 yards it's become a par six for me folks <laughs> 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 not quite not quite that's a joke <laughs> Why don't you dive into uh, what they envisioned for the eighth hole uh, and Alistair McKenzie's thoughts in, t- in, in that hole.
1: So the, uh, the, the green site is, is basically the, the big thing that's changed here. Um, it was originally um, meant to um, be, be essentially a, a punch bowl. Um, so a, a par five and uh, a green that was surrounded by hillocks, so 9 to 12 feet high. Um, wow. Can actually,
0: you imagine that? Mm. Yeah, just to note that he, he obviously wasn't averse to a little bit of a fakery because they were all man-made. Um, so when he says everything should be natural, I mean, you know, with the caveat. Times
2: were changing. Times were changing. Well, he did that at Bayside, too. He was moving dirt, for sure. So do we envision any of these shots being blind? With Those hillocks, or was it open into the green and they were more of a, a backdrop side drop? Do we know?
0: Well, a, a second shot would have been blind on the nature of the, the fact that the, the rise in the, uh, in the hole is so great that, that if you're not that close, it's just going to be blind putting surface anyway. Yeah,
1: uh, and the model for the hole, uh, the, the green site was uh, the 17th at, at Muirfield, um, just. East, yeah, East Lothian. So, I mean, obviously there, um, it, it is essentially like a three-sided punch bowl. And the fairway does kind of like run into it a little bit. But it's not a proper, you know, 360-degree bowl. Um, but, but it's interesting that the, the green, according to the sketch, whether it was built that way, again, is another question. Um, but you have the, the hillocks, uh, the 12-foot hillocks on the left. The 10-foot hillock is on the right. And then the green actually runs away from front to back, um, so you kind of play uphill all the way to the apex of the hill, and then you've got these uh, this green site kind of tilted, running right to left away from you, and then the green kind of diving down, what appears to be almost four feet uh, from front to back. So quite an interesting uh, an interesting green complex, but you can see the similarities between the 17th at Muirfield and. When you look at the drawings uh, here, you can, you can imagine what he was getting at.
2: And it looks like uh, we used to have a centerline bunker in the fairway again.
0: Yes. Now, that was obviously in play because of the, the nature of the uphill drive. Absolutely. And, yeah, and the trajectory of the ball at the time. So um, that certainly was in play. Um, and it stayed there for quite a long time uh, until the fairway itself was shifted further and further left until the green uh, until the bunker, which is kind of in the same place a little bit further along, ended up becoming the right side of the fairway, which is now a good deal narrower, of course. So you're you're being pushed left off the tee the, the optimal drive is left, which makes you have to play a second shot up the hill, hooking around the trees into a little channel, which takes you onto the putting surface. So. I would say the strategy of the whole has changed pretty significantly.
2: Significantly, yeah. And, the, and then the mounds, where it looks. when were they removed? Do we know? Do we have dates on when those mounds changed?
0: Oh, gosh. Yes, we do. Um, this is maybe the most fabulous and hor- horrific photo <laughs> you could find. <laughs> at National. A, um, maybe it was the start of serious commercialization um, influencing course design. But uh, Cliff Roberts decided one day that he should um, create a sort of dance floor uh, green. So he ripped up the the um, the hillocks, which were obscuring people's views. The patrons couldn't see the action on the green at the time from a sort of standing level. And he, he couldn't have them standing on the hills. So he just took them out. And uh, created a sort of figure of eight um, raised platform, where and it wasn't
2: you... raised like much, right? I mean, it was,
0: it was just <laughs> enough. It appears just enough for it to be truly ridiculous. So, if you wanted to play a running shot into the green, you had to go up an almost ninety degree lifted platform slope.
2: <laughs> it there. is the most unusual photograph of a green I think you'll ever see on one of the gr- one of the great golf courses. It, it does. It looks like. How can you put this? It looks like somebody took like a a astroturf putting green and laid it down on the golf course. Truly, is that insane. fair?
1: Yeah, yeah. And and how
2: long did they have to live with that change? Do we have an idea of when it was <laughs> <laughs> removed? I
0: didn't. There was some back and forth, wasn't there? Uh, there was uh, some instant disliking taken by those who could actually voice an opinion without getting chased out of the place immediately. But um, I think there was—was uh, was it Byron Nelson who was asked to come back and use his memory of what was there before to—and uh, kind of stories of him literally having a spade in his hand trying to reconstruct what was there before. Um, so yeah, the, the rectification happened a year later, I think.
2: And so, do we? We think the mounds. The original mounds being you know, eight to nine feet high, the thinking behind the removal or reduction of them was for the patrons. Is that a fair oh, statement? It wasn't so much in strat- strategic play.
0: No, almost at the opposite. It was a sight line reasoning.
2: I guess, in, in, I guess in, a, in a twisted way, they tried to do the right thing and found a wrong way to do it. And then <laughs> fixed it, fixed it, you know, coming back with uh Mr. Byron Nelson coming in, and hopefully uh putting us back on a right track
0: that's right. I'm not sure what the raised thing was all about, I'm not sure what he thought he was accomplishing by raising it, um, but he did it, and then I think it lasted a year, and Bob Jones apparently got really angry
2: I mean and who uh, couldn't hate that right. I mean, yeah, it's, uh,
0: it's one of those things
2: you see. Fo- I remember the first time I saw it and I was like, yeah, that's somebody put that in on accident. That's not Augusta National. There is no way,
0: <laughs> right? It's that cliff, not cliff. What do you mean? Yeah, that's right.
2: So folks <laughs> if folks at home, I think if you, you ever want to see that, look at, uh, I, I, do you, are you going to have photos of that green when you post on the uh, eighth hole by chance?
1: I will try and find one now and see if I can add it. <laughs> so I think you <laughs>
2: need to add it yeah, when you would. post it because people are going to want to see it. Uh, let me ask you, any any things that stand out from the watercolor, again, of McKenzie's original visioning for this hole versus what was delivered prior to Robert's blowing it up?
0: <laughs> um,
2: it's one I of my find- favorite things in all of Augusta history, by the way. <laughs> yeah,
0: truly brilliant. Uh, if
2: I build a course, they'll all have dance floors.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and sort of light, light show that can be flicked on. <laughs> That's right. Um, Double up. Really interesting, which I can't shake, is that um, the original routing and the original numbering of the holes, um, this would have been, you know, the the sort of grand second to last hole. Um, a big uphill climber. I mean, uphill Holes not well, not necessarily well regarded, they don't tend to be very beautiful because you're just looking at a big hill in front of you. Um, so it's a very odd one to, to have as a second to last hole, isn't it? Uh, making a big that's absolutely true. I didn't, you
2: don't even think about that when it was reversed. You're right, second to last hole,
0: yeah. So, I, I don't know, I don't know, but yeah, I mean, it, it seems to be what was built was very close to what I could see in the sketches. Um, it's pretty close to his imagined, envisaged version,
1: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, bunker, so he had a, a
2: slightly different vision than Roberts. That's all we're saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's fair to say. <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll give you my color commentary here. I call this one Eagles, Eagles everywhere. In 1992 Masters, Tom Kite hold out from the fairway from 80 yards for eagle. Not to be outdone, his playing partner Steve Ballesteros, hold out to match his eagle. Eagles, Eagles everywhere. So let's move into the ninth, which is an homage to uh, Charles Blair McDonald's original hole, the Cape. It was also National Golf Links, was the site of the first ever Walker Cup, which was a victory for Bob Jones and the U.S. team. So I'm sure that had wonderful memories for him. Let's dive into the Cape Hole, which uh, today is called Carolina Cherry.
1: Yeah, so quite an interesting one here. And I think for me, uh, two things stand out. One, uh, with the original watercolour that Mackenzie did in 1931, uh, November. Um, it, it was almost an oval, again, kidney-shaped green. And then the far end of the green was surrounded on three sides by sand. Um, that's obviously not what, you know, that, that didn't make the cut, uh, although that is uh, what was what was planned at this point. Uh, what, what made it through um, again on his June 32 sketch and as well the uh, the as built is this famous boomerang green uh, with the almost like sprawling bunker uh, in the middle of it which is quite a fascinating one but what's even more fascinating than that for me is that the the green shape actually dictated not what happened on this hole but actually on the hole that ran beside it um, the first hole that we discussed, so because the because the boomerang shape of the green, it was if the pin was on the left hand side, which you'd be able to see when you first teed off, um, it was easier to go down the first, what well, what what is the first now? or the original yes pent, yeah yes uh, fairway to get to that left <laughs> the left hand side of that green than to actually play down the fairway as it was designed. So, to prevent players from doing that, they basically filled it up with trees. And, and that led to um, basically filling in that amazing bunker on the opening hole, or what was the opening hole, or what is now in the tent. So, yeah, very interesting that actually what the hole is renowned for, what a lot of people want to see again, um, the it's actually what led to the changes between the holes and all the trees coming in. It's quite fascinating.
2: Not only that, but again, we're looking at, at that, that rang shape of Carolina cherries green again, gives us a little bit of a tongue. Is that fair to say yeah, that original, really. I, I, again, I guess there's a question is would it have been a pinnable uh, location? Probably not. But again, is playing for the uh, opportunity to play that run-up shot onto that green. Would you say that's a fair strategic element that, of that design,
0: almost certainly. I mean, you, you can see it in the various uh, oblique angle ph- photographs where where the, the shot you're being asked to play is a nice sort of rolling hook which uh, runs around the, the the course of the the green to a back left pin. But as Jasper says, I think one of the other aspects to it was that they could they buried the creek um, which ran across the front of the the drive on what was then the tenth hole. They buried it beneath the ground with some pipework, and it made it even less risky to go left off the tee um, to access that back left pin. Um, so it was kind of a bit of a bit of a mess at the start, really. Um, and sadly, I think you know the the tongue, the unpinnable tongues, have been lost by virtue of just not really serving any purpose anymore. Sure, uh,
2: everything's aerial. Absolutely. Yeah. When yeah. do we know when we lost that tongue? Do you have that in your your aerials of when did that shape of that green move away from that?
1: Very boomerang? quickly. It did. Very, very. Yeah, quickly. it didn't last long. No. Yeah. Interesting,
2: and and McKinsey though I think the hole gets a a nod to the Cape hole of national golf links of America. He used another comparison looking at this hole, which is a, 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 perhaps one of the greatest opening shots in all of golf in Scotland. Uh, maybe get into a little bit of that. The first hole at Makrahanish.
1: Yeah. So there's some discussion there again with CB McDonald. Obviously he came to the UK to, (laughs) to, to find his holes that he would ultimately use. Um, And so, just that kind of bite off as much as you can chew, risk reward, you know, take it as far as you dare down that side. Um, And that's essentially what he said. Uh, Long straight drive to the right um, will give an easy second to the green. So, basically, playing away from the bunker um, and uh, it gives you a better angle in. But as they know, Uh, Or as it was played, uh, people were actually going all the way up to the left, which is like completely, completely the opposite of what uh, it was intended to do. So
2: what's interesting is, you know, you don't think of that in changing design, but that is effectively what, you know, a, a major part of that is once players are, especially great players, figure out that they can take an advantage by hitting it into another fairway, they start doing it and design changes as a result to that.
0: Yeah, there's no doubt about it.
2: So yeah, I, I just you know that's a, that's a fascinating little twist to the changes at Augusta National. Uh, any other any other points we want to bring up on the ninth?
1: Uh, just another little one, just that uh, it was one bunker and now it's been replaced. Well, it was replaced by four, then three, and then now we're down to two. So again, this uh, proliferation of bunkers where there was one, you know. Now we find a few more, but we did lose, lose one on, on what was the first or what is the first now in the opening 10th.
2: All right. I'll get into uh, my color here. Um, I, I really don't even want to say this one. It still hurts. I get a lot of Aussie listeners, so I apologize for this, but one of the most memorable collapses in master's history started on the ninth hole in 1996, Greg Norman held a six stroke lead heading into the final round of the masters. It could have been a coronation. Instead, it became his funeral at least for his master's hopes, and it all started on the ninth. Norman, in the style of the shark, attacked the dangerous pin position on the ninth hole and came up short. His ball trickled down the slope of the fairway, and it started a streak that went bogey, bogey, double, and he went from three up on faldo to two down over that stretch and never saw a lead again. That's the sad story of the ninth. I hope you enjoyed our tour through time and the first nine holes of Augusta National. Over the past 87 years, the course has gone from revolutionary to evolutionary, from 22 bunkers to 44, and yet through time and change, it ranks as one of the greatest golf courses this world has ever seen. A proper tribute to the great Dr. Alistair McKenzie, and the greatest trophy case of all time, an 18-hole time capsule of the career of Bobby Jones. On episode 53, we will travel through time once again to explore the changes on Augusta National's second nine. Until then, yours in golf history, this is Connor T.
1: Lewis.